the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. Once again, the versatile Pete Paquette handles our engineering. Andrew Herdliska, well, he handles the production of this show. And Colin Hansen is our first guest today. He's in Birmingham, Alabama. Vice President of Content and Editor-in-Chief for the Gospel Coalition and author of Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. Colin, first of all, I want to welcome you to Orlando. Nice to visit with you. Oh, it's really a delight. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, Who is Timothy Keller? Why are you so intrigued with him? Why did you devote (laughs) uh, this part of your life to him? Um, I'm curious. Yeah. Well, Timothy Keller is one of the most significant and influential church leaders in the world from the late 20th and early 21st century. And so if you think of going back to the 9-11 attacks in 2001, Tim was at the time leading one of the largest churches in New York City, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, about 5,000 members around that time. He had started that church in 1989, but Tim is also his sermon still today. He retired in 2017. His sermon still today are some of the most popular um, around the world, and he's a kind of religious podcast in terms of listeners, number of listeners, and he's the author of many best-selling books, and even including a, a recent one on forgiveness. And so I've had the privilege of working with him at the Gospel Coalition, which he co-founded since 2010, and before that had worked with him on some books as well. So uh, it was a fun opportunity to be able to dive deep into all the different people and ideas and events that influenced him over the course of his career. Colin, uh, part one of the book, Honest to God, 1950 to 1972. Uh, Can you fill us in on that period? Yeah, absolutely. So that's when he was born, 1950. And so I traced his upbringing in Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, kind of some challenges within his immediate family. Then we head uh, straight up to Bucknell University, where through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Tim becomes a Christian. And, we, uh, and uh, that, was, that was a transformative time period. Some of the listeners here may be familiar with the Jesus movement or those Jesus revivals of the 1970s. Uh, Tim Keller was in, in undergraduate at Bucknell from 1968 to 1972. The summer before he started, 
you had the you had the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Before that, you had the assassination of Martin Luther King. You had the Democratic National Convention in Chicago with Mayor Daley. Uh, hey Jude was the number one song in America from the Beatles. So people remember that. And then shortly after he became a Christian, May 1970, that's with the Kent State National Guard shootings and widespread student protests. So we examine all those different global and national factors in light of Tim's own spiritual and intellectual formation during that period. And then we move to part two, professors and peers. Uh, this is the period from 1972 to 1975. Tell us about that, Colin. Well, I don't think anybody has ever gotten more out of three years of seminary. <laughs> Timothy Keller studied at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary north of Boston, still a strong seminary today, and it was fairly new at the time. And so, uh, I mean, there, these were the formative years in terms of his theological development, the convictions that he would come to, especially in becoming a Presbyterian, um, you know, developing a Reformed orientation in his theology. Um, this was also the rise of evangelical feminism. And so one of the influential figures that he interacted with at the time who was pushing them back against the feminist movement was Elizabeth Elliot. A lot of people would remember her famously for her writings and speaking and the story with her late husband, the martyr Jim Elliott. So he was one of the professors there. But then also you have uh, Kathy. So Kathy, Tim's wife, they meet in seminary, uh, or they kind of met a little bit before that in undergraduate, but really got to know each other and ultimately married in seminary. And this is also the period of time with a really interesting connection to Orlando. Because um, one of the mentors to Tim and Kathy Keller was R.C. Sproul. He started Ligonier Valley Study Center yes. uh, outside of Pittsburgh before he moved to Orlando. Um, <laughs> and so he also did their wedding. He officiated at Tim and Kathy Keller's wedding. So, um, yeah, before they moved for, to sunny Orlando and focused a lot on um, a video ministry and things like that. They were doing something similar to Francis Schaeffer's Labrie uh, there in Stallstown, Pennsylvania, which is when Tim and Kathy got to know them. There's also one other interesting connection in there that I think your listeners may want to know. Uh, Kathy, as a young child, just 12, 13 years old, um, she was one of the last people to ever correspond with C.S. Lewis. Really? Uh, they had a correspondence back and forth. And so Pretty interesting intersections between their lives and broader movements within the church around the world. Uh, now, uh, let's move to this period, uh, part three, uh, Trial by Fire. This is 1975 to 1989. Yes, so absolutely pivotal period of time of starting out in ministry. Right out of seminary, Tim and Kathy moved from Boston down to Hopewell, Virginia, south of Richmond. Um, total culture change for them, small congregation, about 100 members, uh, very little education within the members. Two of them had college degrees, both elementary school teachers. Most of them, most of the members did not have education beyond sixth grade. Some of their fathers had fought in the Civil War. That's the kind of congregation that they went to. If people know Tim Keller, they know him as this pretty intellectual or high-minded uh, pastor, in New York City, it's quite a shock to see him as a, a pastor in a relatively rural area. And back then, he was shouldering the load for just about everything. So 
in those in those nine years in Hopewell, he preached more than 1,500 sermons. We're talking Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. He's doing all the counseling. He's he's helping with families that are falling apart. He's tracking down uh, children who have run away from home. He's he's counseling uh, wives when their, their husband gets electrocuted underneath the house and dies, and all sorts of different things during there. So absolutely, that was a ministry trial by fire. That's followed then by him going to um, <clears throat> excuse me by him going to Westminster Theological Seminary where he was uh, replaced his closest personal mentor, that is Edmund Clowney. And so here's another RTS connection, or Orlando connection over time. Eventually, Ed Clowney and Tim Keller would deliver some of the most famous lectures from our era on preaching, and that was through the Forman Theological Seminary in Orlando, preaching Christ in a postmodern world. And so that was where Tim had come in and replaced some of Clowney's teaching, especially on preaching at Westminster Seminary. So very, very pivotal years in their lives. And now we move to part four from Gotham to Globe, 1989 to present. Yeah, so 1989, that's the year the Kellers moved to New York City, and that's when they take up uh, this, uh, this church plant, Redeemer Presbyterian Church. But I really wanted to situate them within New York City of the 1980s. Um, that was, the, of course, the, the, the Reagan administration era. A lot of changes made in, the, in terms of finance within New York City. There was this movement of the yuppies, a lot of upwardly mobile young people who were moving to New York City. New York City had come out of a period of, of significant depopulation and rising crime in that period. So uh, it was quite a bit more violent uh, than it is today back in 1989. So I try to situate the book within the uh, Tom Wolfe's Bonfire, The Vanities, Jordan Belfort's uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, the Wall Street movie, things like that to help people just know what they were doing. And there was um, another connection here uh, to Orlando was through Crew and through Nancy DeMoss. Really? Uh, she led this ministry to business leaders um, there in New York City. And that really, uh, Tim Keller's church was the ministry that uh, was the church that was started for a lot of those people involved with crew there from Orlando who are working in New York to go to church and to bring people on Sunday. So, again, just all these sort of connections there. That's just the founding, but, of course, there's plenty more we could talk about there with 9-11 and whatever else you want to get into. Well, I want you to, you brought up the topics, fill us in on that. Yeah. So um, as you would imagine, so many of us, we watched on that horrible day. We we saw what happened. I saw it live, especially with the second, with the towers falling and with the second plane crashing in. But the difference for the Kellers and for everybody else in New York is they didn't just see it sometimes with their own eyes, but they also smelled it. And they smelled it for a long period of time in the city. And there was this deep trauma that had developed over the entire city from just the, the pain of what they had lost and the death and the destruction and the, the shock of the entire thing. Uh, so Tim Keller preached one of his most famous messages on September 16th, 2001. Uh, there was such an overwhelming outpouring, just uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people who came to the church to visit that week, they had to start a whole different spontaneous 
service to, to accommodate everybody there at Hunter College on the Upper East Side. And five years later, Tim Keller would end up preaching at the memorial service, largely the same message, and that was with President Bush downtown uh, near the site of the, the former World Trade Center towers. And so that was clearly a pivotal period. And then from there, it's still a few years before most people would get to know Tim Keller as the author of best-selling books, The Reason for God and The Prodigal God. And uh, those were kind of in the aftermath of what was commonly known today as the New Atheist Movement. And so Tim Keller has been at the forefront of defending the Christian faith from its critics, especially from those, uh, those New Atheists during that period. So that's what took him from that leader from Gotham that leader in New York City to Globe, and sort of leader that now his books are being translated in dozens of languages, as well as his sermons being listened to all over the world. Colin, what is Timothy Keller doing now, and how's, he, how's his health? Yeah, so Tim is still writing. He's still doing some interviews when he can. He's still trying to encourage the younger generation. He and I just launched something new called the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics at the, the KellerCenter.org. That's aimed at raising up the next generation of evangelists and apologists to be able to meet the essential challenges of our, of our era, a post-Christendom environment where we're not quite sure how best to defend the faith. So that's what he's working on now, and his health is uh, about what you'd expect uh, in some ways for somebody with with a pancreatic cancer diagnosis. So no known cure for that. We continue to pray for a miracle, but we give thanks that we're just about three years away from the original diagnosis. He's getting the best possible medical attention anybody could, could hope for, but um, it's, uh, it's still just a, a terrible disease, and, and uh, hopefully we'll have many more years with Tim, but, but if not, I know that he's been spending these last years in prayer before the Lord, um, and preparing to see him one day face-to-face. My guest, and he is in Birmingham, Alabama, Colin Hansen. Colin, tell me more about the Gospel Coalition. Yeah, so we train pastors, um, not so much doing the seminary work of languages and preaching and things like that, but what we do is continuing education for them. Uh, any pastor or church leader could just be an elder or a deacon in your church, or even the parents or small group leaders of your church. We all need additional resources. We all need additional help. We want to need to know, how do you teach a Bible study? How do you lead a small group? How do I help my children to navigate through all the, the changes related to sexuality in our culture today, or just the challenges of, of growing up? Or how do you help the pastors know how to lead through all the different political and racial and medical and all the different controversies we face today. That's what we do at thegospelcoalition.org is try to provide people with those resources for continuing education, trying to fill in those gaps. So if you have a question about anything about the Christian life, just come to thegospelcoalition.org, type in your question, and hopefully we'll have some great resources there for you. (laughs) We've got more after this. Uh, This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And uh, my guest is Colin Hansen. Uh, he has authored a book about the uh, remarkable preacher, pastor, D- Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. Uh, we will continue with Colin, but first we have messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It is AM 990 and 
FM 101.5. The word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Now, here's Pat. Colin Hansen has authored the book, Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. What's it like, uh, or what would it have been like, Colin, to, to listen to Timothy preach? Yeah, well, thankfully, in so many different ways, we, we can still do that through the wonders of podcasting. But if you were listening to him in New York City uh, over those years, the distinct experience that you would have is something that most people were not familiar with before Tim Keller. That would be somebody who could preach the the text, who could help you to understand and see things through the theology and the original languages that you hadn't seen in the Scripture to help you see Christ. Um, he, he could help you go back in the Old Testament. And one of his most famous sermons, one of my favorites, is called The Girl Nobody Wanted. It's about uh, Rachel and Leah with their husband, Jacob. And uh, it's a beautiful sermon that helps us to see how God loved Leah, who was not loved by her husband, and how she came to bear Judah, and ultimately then the Savior, the Christ, Jesus, in her in her line of descendants. And so it would also help you to see the kind of the sweeping story of redemption of all of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. But at the same time, he would be referencing different things uh, in the culture, Pulitzer Prize-winning books. Uh, lyrics from from the kind of leading musicians of the time, publications inside New York City and around the around the country, from the Village Voice to the New Yorker to the Wall Street Journal to all kinds of different things. And so that combination had just was not very common before Tim Keller of theology and and exegesis of scripture, close reading of scripture close observation of the text, and then also at the same time that cultural connection in there. And so that has been a just really, really powerful combination, which I think is why many people will continue to listen to his sermons for years to come. How about his books? Yeah, so what was that about his books? Just to tell you yeah, about books? yeah, I want to hear about his books. Yeah, so a lot of the books are roughly connected to sermon series or to other topics that he frequently has has spoken on. I'll give you just two examples. One of them is uh, is just probably the best book you'll find out there on marriage called The Meaning of Marriage. What Tim does such a good job of in The Meaning of Marriage is connect back to why people don't get married as much anymore today or what they're missing or different expectations and changes of marriage. Of, instead of two young people building a life together, it's often two autonomous individuals agreeing on a contract of mutual benefit for as long as they both regard it to be as such. So that's, so that's just an outstanding work there that I recommend all the time in premarital counseling. Uh, but it really is best for singles, because for singles who, who haven't thought much or just um, or want to be married or haven't thought much about marriage, a really great book to help with that. Uh, the second is called Making Sense of God that I wanted to mention here. That reflects a pretty substantial change and transformation in how to think about what's happening in our culture today and to think about the best way to approach it. Um, That one's the closest associated with the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics, the distinct kind of work that we're trying to do together 
to train church leaders for this particular challenge today of 40 million Americans having left the church in the last 25 years. But I would say for listeners who are not familiar with Tim, the best place to go by far is his book, The Prodigal God. That's as close as it comes to an autobiography of Tim. It's the plain gospel message of grace and how revolutionary that is, especially told through the story of the two sons, which we often know as the prodigal, probably the prodigal son. And so he helps us to see that the message is not about the return of the younger son, but the resistance to God's lavishing grace from the older son. It's an absolutely great, um, great book. came out in 2008, but it's still as relevant and fresh today as it was back then. Colin, tell me about uh, <clears throat> Timothy Keller's family. Yeah, so, of course, we've got Kathy in there. They've been uh, married for a number of years, I guess going back to 1975. And uh, they have a uniquely close relationship, a uniquely close one, a unique partnership in ministry. Um, it's worth, uh, I would hope, reading the book just to learn about Kathy as his biggest influence and their unique marriage. They have three sons. All three sons are married with children in New York City, walking with the Lord, and um, with their own with their own families. They're at Redeemer, a Presbyterian church, and or in the church as well. His son Michael works with me now at the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics, and Michael is the pastor and founder of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, Lincoln Square. So also did his PhD in the Netherlands, studying the theology of Jonathan Edwards, a major influence on Tim Keller. So I was just a little bit about the family, but one of the unique aspects of the book was that I got to talk to Tim's sister, got to talk to Sharon. And um, so, in fact, uh, her family is in the Orlando area, and whenever the Gospel Coalition had done our national uh, national conferences for many years down in Orlando. Tim would speak, and then he'd be able to spend time with his sister. and And I think his parents may have uh, ended their, their life in that area as well, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, a lot of connections there. But that's really one of the unique aspects of the book was talking to all these different family and friends uh, that have never talked before about uh, Tim Keller's life and have given us new understanding of all the different influences that made him who he is today. My guest in, excuse me, in Birmingham, Alabama, is Colin Hansen. We're talking about Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. Um, by the way, Colin, what has uh, gotten, happened and what's going on with Redeemer Presbyterian Church today? Still going strong. I would say that like a lot of different places, especially in New York City, uh, COVID-19 was very difficult. We all remember the, the, the high death counts and everything, especially early on in that city. Um, a lot of people have left New York. It's, there's an uncertain future in terms of uh, the effects of remote work and what that may mean or not mean uh, for people coming back and working and living downtown. Uh, so a lot of that remains to be seen, but um, yeah, there's a different they're now not just one church. They're all sort of like a family of independent congregations, but you'll find them downtown. You'll find them in there. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, the, the building on the Upper West Side of Manhattan for Redeemer, that was the first new church building in 50 years mm. in New York City. Uh, so let's go find them up on West 83rd. And then on the east side, Redeemer is working currently 
and Redeemer East Side, is, which is the original location of the church, um, and where they met at the large Hunter College Auditorium for a long period of time, they're working on a $75 million facility up there as well. And so, yeah, you'll find them Lincoln Square, downtown, west side, east side, and you'll find Redeemer's church plants all over the city, East Harlem, and all kinds of different places. It's really a quite a different dynamic in the city than it was when Tim and Kathy started Redeemer back in 1989. Um, <clears throat> let me uh, ask one other question. How did Timothy Keller become a Presbyterian? Yeah, good question. So two answers to that question. One of them was a course he took with, uh, actually, he loves to tell this story. He says he became a Presbyterian because of Watergate. Mm. Uh, so he talks about there, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun little story that he uses to illustrate God's providence. What he says was, he was at Gordon Conwell, and there was a professor that they were trying to get to come from the United Kingdom, but they had problems with the visa. So what happened was they asked one of the students if the student could help. That was President Ford's son. <laughs> and so, but, but President Ford, of course, was only in office because of President Nixon's resignation. President Nixon resigned because of Watergate. Well, through President Ford's son, they're able to get the visa. The professor is able to come. The professor comes and teaches on Presbyterianism. Tim and Kathy decide, well, Kathy had been a Presbyterian. Uh, Tim decides to become a Presbyterian. And then they learn about this new PCA, this new Presbyterian Church in America denomination that's largely in the South. Um, again, famously, D. James Kennedy, one of the major leaders of, of the PCA. But then the, another one was R.C. Sproul. And so R.C. Sproul then introduced them to the PCA and everything else from, it, from there is history. Oh, that's great. That's great. Great story. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Colin. It's a great, great visit. Oh, thank you. It's really a delight. Thanks for having me. Colin Hansen, author of Timothy Keller. We've got more after this. Stay with us, and we will be right back with our next guest. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat. Colin Hansen, our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about the book he'd written about Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. David Peterson joins us. Uh, he's in Chesapeake, Virginia. The book, Journey to Forgiveness, 21 Milestones to Freedom. David, uh, so nice to catch up with you. Uh, welcome to Orlando. Thank you, Pat. Thanks for having me on. What does this title mean, Journey to Forgiveness, and then 21 Milestones to Freedom? Can you expand on that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, come to realize that... Um, Forgiving someone, uh, depending on on whatever it is, frequently is more of a journey than just simply a one-stop destination. Um, depending on on the nature that you're forgiving someone, it's more like a journey. And the front cover, I think, says it well because 
you see kind of a, a rough and tumble path. And, um, you know, on that path of forgiveness, I, it's not always a smooth road. In fact, it's, it's more like filled with potholes and um, crags and at times even um, uh, perilous cliffs on either side. And so in my journey of forgiveness, uh, I just found that there were a number of things that helped me to forgive over time. I started with three, and over time, I just kind of added to them. And so that's uh, that's the nature of the 21 milestones. That's how I got there. Well, let's dive in. Um, you've got 21 topics. Let's start. Unforgiveness is monkey business. David, explain that. I'd love to. So there's a story about how to to catch a monkey. And I believe the story originates uh, from Africa. And the, uh, the idea was they had a problem with monkeys. And so they didn't want to, they didn't want to kill them. And they didn't want to hurt them. So they had to find a way of dealing with the monkey problem. And so what they discovered was if they took some banana as bait and they stuck it into a jar and attached the jar to a tree, the monkey would put his hand in there and, you know, because he's curious. And then with that clenched fist, he wouldn't be able to pull his hand out. And so... Step number one, milestone number one, is really to identify, do I want to keep holding this? Because really, you really holding on to something really introduces yourself to peril. Um, I don't know about you, but the times I've tried to hang on to things that have offended me, um, I come to realize this stuff's eating me up. It raises my blood pressure. It makes my blood boil. And somehow I got to realize I got to let it go, but I need help. And so um, that's the first milestone. So that's unforgiveness is milestone, how to let it go. I want you to uh, tell us about the second topic, the offending $20 sinner. You a $20 million sinner. (laughs) I know what's going on. isn't that crazy? That's actually from one of the one of the stories that Jesus told so powerfully, and that's the story of coming to realize. You remember the story about the guy is in prison and he owes so much, and then uh, the ruler lets him go and forgives him the great amount. And then what does he do? He turns around and he goes and shakes down a 20-buck debtor and tosses him into prison. And then, of course, as the story goes on, you find out that uh, the ruler says, no, you know, I'm going to put you back in where you were. And so the idea is we have to get real and say, okay, maybe I didn't commit the same kind of sin or cause the same kind of trauma, 
that another person did, and perhaps to me, so, you know, such a huge amount. But we have to realize that as much as we want to stack sin, and that's really what pride is, it's a stacking and saying, well, one sin is bigger than another sin, another big sin is bigger than another sin, or not as bad as another sin. It keeps us, you know, kind of like the two trees that were in the garden between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And so the idea is to recognize we're all sinners. And um, to forgive means that we come to the realization that, yeah, you've been traumatized. God wants to bring healing to you, and he also wants to bring healing to the person who's offended you. And maybe they don't even want to own that. You know, we can't minimize what has been done to people, but the other party may not be able for some reason to own it or apologize for it. But like somebody said, um, unforgiveness of someone is like pouring poison for yourself and drinking it, expecting the offending party will die from it. We, this stuff eats us up. It churns us up, and it just it's no good for us. Third topic. The power of healing and forgiveness. So the power of healing and forgiveness is really just that, you know, there's a saying that forgive others as quickly as you expect <clears throat> God to forgive you. And the, the idea is there that it, it's natural to hold grudges and to withhold forgiveness. But God doesn't call us to follow our primitive, carnal nature. And so we must have his help. He is Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord who heals. And so uh, to encounter that means to encounter God's healing for our painful memories. And it extends, you know, to, to others as we are being healed. Um, the question is, do we want to stay in that bitterness? Um, Israel was called out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They couldn't stay where they were. There's, you know, God doesn't want us staying in that place. He wants us to move on in a place of freedom. And that way we have a chance to see him transform our own relationships with other folks. And that's one of the, one of the ways that I, you know, I can't claim that any one of these is absolutely better than another. These are just things that I've found over time, and I invite my readers to say, hey, but what are you, what are you finding? What do you find helpful as you forget? My guest in Chesapeake, Virginia, David Peterson, the book, Journey to Forgiveness. Release your wrath. Explain that to us, David. So one of the things when I realized that I <laughs> that I was a um, anger and bitterness junkie, and it really was coming to realize that um, it was uh, wreaking havoc with my marriage and with even with my family. It would just kind of like spill out, and so I went to my pastor, such a godly mentor. You know, we need more godly mentors out there, and. Um, I said, how do I deal with this? And he gave me three 
And that was one of the three that he gave me. And that was to have time for it. If you start thinking about these people, the you know, folks that have hurt you and wronged you, just maybe consciously say it out loud. I release you from my wrath. I release you from my wrath. And because I don't know about you, Pat, but I need to hear that word coming from my heart, out of my mouth, back into my ears and process that. And also, you know, his word says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. It's also a sense in which allowing God his time to deal with the other party. And it takes me out of being, you know, having to remember all their faults out of the place of casting judgment and allowing God to get in there. He's going to do what, you know, God wants to do anyway. Simply, it says there's a freedom in saying, you know what? I can't control that. I can him or her, but I can control me. And so there's a sense of personal ownership in that. That's it. You know, just to say, I release you from my wrath. And number four is broken child, broken adult. Yes. Tell me and more. Tell me more. So one of the things in the discovery of of some additional things for um, this book was <clears throat> over time ministry and personal experience uh, and course coursework and things we're coming to realize that so much of what happens in a child from birth to the first 10 years um has leaves such an impression on the trajectory of where that, as the child grows and develops into adulthood. So, you know, an additional research um, through Dr. Charles Kraft and uh, what, uh, and that actually other scientists are showing is that there can be in utero um, impressions of memory. In other words, if, even in utero, if um, the mother has a lot of fears, experiences trauma, um, you know, not certain of wanting the pregnancy to go on, that they can actually in utero pick up on those feelings. And so if we look at that and we say, wow, so much is imprinted um, and some of that huge brokenness in you know, zero to 10 years of age, um, when we look at those who have wronged us, we, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We don't know. And that's the thing. God knows what that offending party has actually experienced in their life that would make them do the things they do, act the way they do, um, even acting out. Does that make sense? Beautifully done. My guest, David Peterson, we're talking about his book, Journey to Forgiveness. Next topic for you, David, it's simply called writing lists. Uh, explain writing. that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I really, uh, yeah, I'm a list writer. I don't know about you, 
but I came to realize that, you know, as I'm right, you know, as I'm writing lists, I, I start thinking in my mind of, well, this person, you know, did this, or this person said that, um, this person hurt me in this way. And, and what wasn't getting the fair play was, yeah, those folks may have done whatever, but what about the other hand? Look at all the godly people in my life that the Lord has placed in my life has redeemed so much for me. And I can't just simply give the biggest microphone to the smallest folks that, you know, like, yes, there is always something we can learn from the most difficult, heartbreaking sorrow. But writing those lists, being able to, you know, write those lists of, of um, the, the people in our lives that have brought transformation and that God sent us away. So that's, that's writing lists. Um, the next one is do it for yourself. That's number six. Do it yourself. Do it for yourself. Get selfish. My guest, you know, is um, David, David Peterson. We need to take a break. And when we come back, David is going to continue talking about his book, Journey to Forgiveness, 21 Milestones to Freedom. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. So glad that you're with us here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in beautiful Orlando, Florida. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5. The word. Now, here's Pat. David Peterson is with us from Chesapeake, Virginia, talking about his book, Journey to Forgiveness. And David, just before the break, uh, I wanted you to uh, talk about do it yourself. Get selfish, you say. What's, what's, what's that mean? I, I know that that may sound a little crazy, but um, do it for yourself. Get selfish. You know, when Jesus encountered the man, um, and he, the words he had um, was, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. You frequently, you know, obviously we, put loving the Lord above all else. But when he speaks of loving your neighbor as you love yourself, it doesn't mean we love ourselves any less. And so I know selfish is a little over the top, but I had to have something that, that just says you are so valuable to him. Uh, you're the apple of God's eye, and we can't forget that. So not to lose track of of yourself and to love yourself. Um, that when we, when we are in the journey of forgiveness, we're actually becoming um, unentangled, unconnected from the one who harmed us, who hurt us. And so 
it gives that separation. So claiming that place, even if that sounds selfish, but we're doing that for ourselves. So that's, a you know, in a healthy kind of way. David, next topic for you. When Jesus was offended. So the idea is to keep in mind, you know, the word says in Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's sure. I was just thinking about this the other day. Isn't it nice to know that he knows he has a complete experience, has a complete, complete knowledge of the things and the challenges that we've been through. And uh, also, when he was on the cross, he says, makes that bold declaration, uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is a unilateral forgiveness that, that takes action, that doesn't shy away at all from the scourging, the brutality, the bloodshed, or evil cruelty that we see on the cross. But it also is a claim, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have, if we have been offended, he truly has an idea of what that is. How about this topic for you, David? Let yourself off the hook. Yeah. Um, I think um, one of this is this is where it gets uh, you know more yeah, very personal for me. Um, as I think of those who have um, hurt me, um, you know the statistics show that one in six men um, were victims of a pedophile when they were children, and the effect of that is to, uh, you know, could be anywhere from self-medicating um, to disastrous relationships, um, heaped on shame and guilt. It's fascinating. Another person hurts us, and yet we keep, we keep that going by heaping more shame on ourselves. Sometimes more education is needed to be done just to be able to look and go, you know what? Um, I didn't cause that shame. What God actually, you know, the evil one wants to, um, he exposes so he can shame. Uh, God reveals the brokenness and the hurt and it hurt so that he can heal. And we need not, especially if we have been uh, wronged so deeply, need not carry those things. So um, it's kind of a reality check on carrying, you know, the you know, blame and shame. I want you to... And I invite my reader to look at that. David, uh, tell us about uh, get your arsenal in order. What's that mean? Well, 
my uh, my military folks that I serve here in Chesapeake, Virginia, I have so many in my congregation seem to like this one because, you know, if you're going to battle, you need to get your resources and uh, in order and your weaponry in order. And so um, get your arsenal in order. I basically talk about getting your scriptures, uh, favorite scriptures that have to do with forgiveness. Get those out. Post them on little post-it notes and put it on the mirror in your <laughs> in your bathroom or you know in your car or on your desk. Those things that help you, and especially if you're in places where you're going to encounter more temptation to hold grudges and what have you. Maybe you know, maybe some one of your listeners happens to be in customer service. Man, I'll tell you what, if you're in customer service or if you're in pastoring or you're, you're, you know, you're doing any kind of service-oriented um, field, uh, it's good to have those, those scriptures around you that you can just rely on or even like quotes that you can draw on that bring inspiration. Um, Gandhi said, you know, your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Words become actions. Actions become habits. Habits become values. And values become your destiny. And that's why getting your arsenal in order, you know you're going out on a daily basis to face unforgiveness. For me, it was at the very beginning of the day to realize, okay, I'm going to get hit with, you know, am I going to hold on to the, um, the resentment? I know it's coming. So how am I going to fight? What am I going to do? I want you to talk about unforgiveness opportunity for spiritual warfare you know we need to realize that the enemy wants to keep us in that very place uh, of he wants to keep us in unforgiveness and he's, he doesn't want any part of us now reconciliation may not be possible, um, as, you know, whether we want it or not. In fact, sometimes it's ill-advised, um, and especially if you've been abused or are being abused. Um, we have to look really hard at that. But uh, we have to see this as spiritual warfare. We need to pray through this, pray in the Spirit through this, um, soak and immerse ourselves in the word and just know we're going out to battle on a daily basis. And uh, this is this is really what God's called us to. So, you know, I don't want the enemy to eat my lunch. And so being prepared, we got to be prepared. My guest has been David Peterson. His book, Journey to Forgiveness, 21 Milestones to Freedom. Uh, we got about halfway through the book uh, just chatting about it. But, boy, there's some good material uh, that we didn't have time to cover. So make sure you get that book. 
Journey to Forgiveness, David Peterson. We've got more. Stay with us. <clears throat> uh, actually, what we're going to do is wrap this show up and then uh, invite you to come back next weekend. So we do have a little uh, conclusion here. Stay with us. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us here, folks, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, Colin Hansen uh, talking about his new book about Timothy Keller, the great pastor based out of New York City, about his spiritual and intellectual formation. And then uh, David Pearson joined us. David Peterson, I'm sorry, David Peterson joined us. Talking about his book, Journey to Forgiveness, 21 Milestones to Freedom. Two very, very interesting authors. And uh, check out my latest book. It's called Who Coached? The coaches. I interviewed hundreds of coaches and asked them one question. Who is the key person in you becoming a coach? And that's the meat of this new book. Well, folks, have a wonderful week ahead. We'll see you next weekend right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando, Florida. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 